0: It's a joy to be here. Boy, as I look at this incredible place that, uh, that God has given us, folks, you've got to admit, God is good, isn't he? Amen. Why don't we just show a little word of, uh, or just a little token of appreciation to our pastors who have worked so hard to find us this place. Why don't we just give them a round of applause for all the hard work that went into securing this place for us. So, Pastor Lenny, Pastor Glenn. Pastor Chris, and of course our beloved Pastor Dave, and the rest of our leaders, we really do appreciate you guys, and uh, hold you in high regard, and thank the Lord for their service to us, and for their ongoing love for God. Well, as uh, Lenny explained, please don't let my accent fool you, I am 100% Filipino, Uh, my stomach especially is very, very Filipino, Uh, and uh, we just entered into this new phase that some of you have been living in for a while, which is the empty nest phase. Our youngest child, our daughter, Kirsten, just graduated from high school at the end of May and then repatriated permanently back to Canada at the end of June. We miss her dearly, just like we miss our son who left to go back to Canada uh, three years ago. Uh, Although, we just heard last night that our daughter, Kirsten, just finally got her license. So in some ways, I'm thankful that I'm not there. And I'm also very thankful that I did not have to teach my daughter how to drive because I did this for my son. And that was a little stressful. The very first time I took Mitch out to drive in our van, uh, I thought he was going to drive us straight into our neighbor's front yard. Our neighbor's front bay window, in fact. That's where he was headed for. So, uh, hey, the verdict is still out there, but we are so thrilled that our kids did grow up out here and had the opportunity to give their lives to Jesus when they were still at UCCD, and my daughter especially misses this church and wishes she could be here for the very first day of service and worship right in this facility. So, folks, I want to read for you a story that I picked up on the Internet from an online daily, and this is, a, in fact, a uh, UK daily, and this is what it says. It's always a bit of a come down, returning to the gray skies of Britain after you've enjoyed a relaxing sunny holiday. But spare a thought for the families who will find this scene of devastation waiting for them. Some 24 holiday makers' cars have been burnt out after a fierce blaze took hold of a long stay car park at Stansett Airport. Police believe that the fire may have been sparked by an electrical fault in one of the vehicles. High winds caused the flames to spread rapidly through the car park, causing almost a quarter of a million pounds worth of damage. The insurance claims could prove a nightmare for people who have lost their cars. It may never be possible to identify the faulty car that sparked the fire and started the conflagration. A spokesman for Stansett Airport said, It will be an unpleasant surprise for the owners returning to find their cars burnt out. But listen to this. But we are arranging free taxis to bring these people home. And if they rent the car from one of our car rental facilities right here, we will also give them a 40% discount. Boy, can you imagine returning from your holidays and finding your car burnt to a crisp? Not quite what you would expect, right? But it's interesting that there's so many things in life that seem so random like this, right? I mean, you come out one morning and you're headed to work and your, your tire's flat. And in the summertime at 42 degrees Celsius, that is rough, isn't it? You get to work and you discover that this report that you've been laboring hard over for over a week now, suddenly got lost in cyberspaces. It tends to happen now and, now and again. And you know that your boss is going to get upset with you. Or perhaps you decide to go golfing with your wife, and uh, oh, sorry, with your friends, and you tell your wife, hey, would you prepare a few, uh, some, some snacks so that I, I could bring my buddies and I back here and we could have a, just some time together. And then one of your buddies says, hey, let's go out to eat. And you say, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And you neglect to inform your wife. And when you get home, hey, for some reason, uh, your household seems to have frozen over. <laughs> Folks, there are so many things in life that seem so random that it's, you, you begin to wonder, Lord, how do you make sense of all of these things? You get into a car accident. Yes, ultimately it's driver error. But why? How? You're a careful driver. Usually it's always the other person's fault anyway. But how do you make sense when you live in a world that is increasingly seemingly senseless? Folks, in the, in the passage that we will look at today, this is exactly what Jesus began to address with his disciples. So if you have your, your scriptures with you, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 24? Matthew chapter 24 the beginning of what is called the Olivet Discourse, the teachings that Jesus gave on the Mount of Olives, especially, uh, particularly to his closest disciples. And this is what it says. If you, if you don't have your scriptures, you can follow along with us on what is put up on the overhead. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. Many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. In this passage that we want to look at this morning, Jesus continued on in a line of teaching that predicted that he was already on the way to Jerusalem. If you recall, as we have been unpacking the Gospel of Mark, Jesus over and over again reminded his disciples that the reason he was here on earth was to go to Jerusalem because what waited for him in Jerusalem was the cross of Calvary. Of course, Jesus understood that this was the only way that man could ever be reconciled to the Holy Father in heaven who would not accept anything less. But for the disciples, this is very hard teaching indeed. And so in the context of what we're about to look at as the story unfolds, you know, it says here in verse 1 that Jesus and his disciples were walking away from the temple when the disciples reminded Jesus of how beautiful this was. And of course, This temple was the one built by Herod. It it paled in comparison to what was built originally by, by Solomon in his time. But yet everyone agrees, and the scholars agree as well, that this temple was truly magnificent. It was truly a sight to behold. And the Jews were extremely proud of this. The center of their faith, the very symbol of what they believed, the very example that proved to them that they were God's chosen people. And that here was a God, the God of the universe, who had chosen to dwell among them. And yet, here was Jesus, all of a sudden, predicting, you know, as they, as they point out to him, and, and, and admiring this incredible building, right? I mean, in modern day terms, this would be like bringing one of your guests to the Burj Khalifa. This incredible building. World's tallest building. Truly a beautiful building. And then to have your guests tell you, guess what? One day, this is going to be torn down piece by piece until not even one stone is left on another. Folks, think about how this affected the disciples. Think about in the context of, of what the temple represented for them and how bewildering this must have been for them. What are you saying, Jesus? How can this be when this is the temple of God? I don't understand. And think about the implication that this had on their personal faith. So if this temple is destroyed, then what happens to us now? And remember, in, in, in typical human understanding, human theology, so if something like this gets destroyed, does it now, now nullify all the promises of God throughout Scripture to us as His people? Does this mean that, that, that God has turned his back on us, and we are no longer his chosen people? Folks, the disciples must have been reeling at this pronouncement. And because of this, as the story unfolds, verse 3 says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? You know, the Mount of Olives is uh, right across Jerusalem, across the Kidron Valley. It's only about 200 meters above sea level, but it's, it, it is uh, elevated. And so as they sat on the side, Jesus began to explain this to them. Actually, according to Mark, only four of the disciples came to, to really ask him this question. But the point, in, the point of this is that this was preeminent in the minds of all of the disciples. All of them were trying to comprehend what this meant for them. Like I said earlier, They were probably all just shocked by this. This is so scandalous. They couldn't even think of this. And they wanted to find out, well, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me long term? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to our nation? And then Jesus begins to explain in the succeeding passages, not only what is about to happen to the temple and to the nation of Israel, but ultimately what God's plan and purpose is for the world. In verse 4, Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Then he says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. My brothers and my sisters and dear friends and guests who are with us this morning, we need to understand that Jesus, through this, as he sought to answer the disciples' question, was wanted them to learn three things. The first thing was, as evidenced by this last passage that I just read, is simply this. Even as he talked about the coming of false prophets, as he talked about wars and rumors of wars, as he talked about natural calamities which were going to inundate the world, he was simply reminding them, number one, that nothing, absolutely nothing, happens out of God's sovereign will. Nothing, folks. Absolutely nothing will happen outside of God's sovereign will. The question is, do you and I believe this? For the disciples, this is still hard teaching. So you mean to tell me that when the temple is destroyed, this is part of God's will? How can this be? Folks, and yet, because God is sovereign, He also knows exactly what's going on. You know, the first thing that Jesus warned the disciples about was, was about the coming of, of false prophets, right? I mean, the fact is, false prophets have come and gone, and many more will come. I mean, permit me to just read for you a few examples of some of the, 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 the false prophets that have come. All right? Uh, there's Sun, Sun Myung Moon. Um, he believed... Uh, and believed by the members of the Unification Church to be the Messiah and the second coming of Christ, fulfilling Jesus' unfinished mission. Well, Jim Jones, right, came in the 70s. We all heard about him. Uh, well, unless you have not, we were not born yet then, but he was founder of People's Temple, uh, which started off as an offshoot of a mainstream pro- Protestant sect before it evolved into a personality cult. He claimed to be the reincarnation not only of Jesus, but of Akhenaten, of Buddha, of Vladimir Lenin, and of the Father Divine. Think about that. Boy, even a schizophrenic has has nothing to hold against this guy, right? Uh, He organized a mass suicide at Jonestown, Guyana, 18 November 1978. Here's the interesting thing. There are still people who are followers of Jim Jones until today. That's what I don't understand. Of course, we also saw in the news, um, uh, let me read a few more here, uh, about Shoko Ashara, founder of the controversial Japanese religious group called... Aum Shinrikyu, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, founded in 1984, he declared himself as Christ, Japan's only fully enlightened master and the Lamb of God. His purported mission was to take upon himself the sins of the world. He outlined a doomsday prophecy which included a third world war and described a final conflict culminating in a nuclear nuclear Armageddon. Well, when this wasn't happening, guess what he did? He started to try to, to, to initiate his own Armageddon. His group gained a notoriety in 20th of March 1995 when it carried out that infamous sarin gas attack in the Tokyo subway. He has now he has been sentenced to death and is awaiting execution in Japan. Um, uh, one last person I just want to point out. David Shaler, uh, in the summer of 20, 2007, by the way, David Shaler is a former MI5 agent. He's a spook, folks. All right? Well, he, he was also a whistleblower, and then he proclaimed himself to be the Messiah. He has released a series of videos on YouTube claiming to be Jesus. You can Google this, and you can find out and read it for yourself. Although, interestingly enough, uh, some, for some reason, not a lot of people believe in him. And he is also sitting in jail. All right? Folks, not only that, Jesus also told his disciples that there would be wars and rumors of wars. I mean, just think about... 2011, it started on Tunisia when the people of Tunisia finally had enough with President Ben Ali and they kicked him out. And then all of a sudden in Egypt, the people began to, to clamor against President Hosni Mubarak, strong man of Egypt for over 30 years. Who would have ever believed? Even as 2 million people gathered in Tahrir Square, Christians and Muslims alike. And a change of government happened. And from there, there was some commotion in Bahrain. From there, there was even some commotion in Sohar in Yemen. And from there, a civil war started in Yemen. And from there, there's still a civil war going on in Libya and in Syria as we speak. Folks, this is what we're reading in the news. And yet, eerily enough, this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. And then he talks about... um, famines and earthquakes in various places folks again famines and all of these natural calamities are are nothing new to us uh they happen all the time uh they're a com- they're, they're just a regular part of 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 life let me let me point out some to you um uh, what's a good one here france spain and italy 2003 a heat wave leads to 50,000 people dead of course, all of us heard about the great tsunami that hit Southeast Asia in 2004, affecting Indonesia, Sri Lanka, India, Thailand, Malaysia, the Maldives, Myanmar, and even as far away as Somalia, causing 245,000 people to lose their lives. Uh, one year later, 2005, we had the, the, the that ferocious hurricane that just battered Louisiana and, and Missouri, uh, resulting again in many people not only who lost their property but close to 2,000 people who died. In recent times, of course, um, uh, the Haiti earthquake of, of just last year, January of last year, 230,000 people dead. And you could forget. Just January again of, of sorry, March of this year. In fact, I remember this. It was, it was so surreal. I was so dumbfounded. i just come out of church service when we were still meeting in, at, 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 uh, at Safatel Hotel. And I was walking downstairs you know, where all the the electronic shops are, and in every single flat-screen TV there was advertised this incredible tsunami that had wiped out part of a a city in Japan, right? Again, folks, we're reading what, what the newspapers are telling us, and yet, listen to what the Word of God says. Jesus already predicted that these things will happen, and they will continue to happen until the end of time. In fact, the point here is this, folks. These are simply part of God's will. He knows exactly. Now, many of us perhaps have never lived through a war, perhaps have never been uh, suffered from a natural calamity. I mean, uh, I remember calling a colleague of mine who was in Lebanon when the, the latest war broke out in 2008. And as I spoke to him on the phone, I could hear bombs dropping and exploding around him. I know of another friend of mine, and he and his wife and their family used to live in Lebanon when the first civil war hit, and they got evacuated. And he said when he came back, the toughest part was to see someone walking around town with all of his clothes on, and to see his house taken over by somebody. He never got anything back. My mother lived through World War II in the Philippines, through the Japanese occupation, and and, and she used to tell me stories. You know, as a young 16-year-old, looking after her older sister's son, and, she had to, and they, they fled to the mountains. And, and she had to go into town at least once or twice a week to get milk for this baby boy. And, and a Japanese officer kindly took her aside and said, you shouldn't be here on your own. I cannot vouch for what my soldiers will do. You never come here unless I'm here. And her telling me that when Manila was getting liberated... And as the Japanese were fleeing north, they were basically shooting and bayonetting everyone in sight. And they were playing cat and mouse. And my mom said, we were just trying to stay ahead of them. One bombed out and shot up house after another. Many of us will never go through this. But perhaps many of us are living through personal wars in relationships. Spouses who are cheating on us. Spouses who have walked away on us. Perhaps some of you are living personal tsunamis because your loved one or you yourself have been just diagnosed with a fatal disease. Some of you have been hit by an earthquake because you just lost your job and you don't know how you're going to survive. Some of you are struggling with children who are not walking with the Lord and just breaking your heart by the choices and decisions they are making. Folks, and yet Jesus, just like he was reminding the disciples that nothing, absolutely nothing happens outside of the will of God. Folks, do we believe this? That even if our personal lives and the circumstances around us are crumbling, it's falling apart, the wheels are coming off. But yet, do you believe that God is still God? Do you believe that God still loves you and I, that He still cares for us and because He is good and because He is sovereign and in control, He will look after us. This is why paul, you know, no matter what he went through, i mean in corinthians first uh, corinthians eleven this is what paul says if if if, if if you want to experience exactly uh, what Paul went through, listen to what he says. Sorry, not not First Corinthians eleven. Um, anyway, somewhere in Corinthians, I'm having a mental block right now. Paul talks about how he he he, he 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 experienced shipwreck, he he experienced imprisonment, he experienced beatings. I mean, he was bitten by a snake. Eventually. Uh, he was, he was martyred for his faith, wasn't he? But yet, despite that, this is why in Romans chapter 8, Paul could write, and permit me to read this for you. Romans chapter 8, at the very last part of that, that chapter, this great and wonderful promise that is for you and I as well. And this is what Paul says. Who shall shall separate us from from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then jumping on to verse 37, Paul reminded us, knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anyone, anything else in all creation will be able to separate you and I from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, I don't know what you're going through right now, dear brothers and sisters, dear friends and guests who are here with us, but Jesus is God. And Jesus loves us. Enough to die on the cross first to forgive our sins and to give us hope for a future. And that we can take to any bank. And that we can count on until the end of time. And that was why Jesus was reminding his people, yes, all of this will happen, but I will still be God. Do we believe this? One quick story about this some dear friends of ours, uh, Yugoslavian, uh, actually Serbian. They immigrated to Canada in the late 70s, established a, a life for them there. He, he, got, he, he was able to start up his own business, very successful business. She was a, a, a dental assistant by trade, and they were living very well. They just felt a tug in their hearts that God wanted them to return back to, to, to Serbia to serve their own people. So they did. They sold everything, packed up everything, and they left. They get to Serbia. She gets pregnant with her, her son, their only son, Philip. And then they discover that he's got two large growths in both of his kidneys. And, and they rush back to Canada, and the doctors were not very hopeful. Can you imagine? Newborn with cancer in his kidneys. Eventually, they, they, they concluded that this was a, partly a result of the Chernobyl nuclear incident that happened in the Ukraine in 1985. Well, God did a miracle and healed their son. And this, this, this encouragement said, yes, we're going to go back, Lord. So they went back to Yugoslavia. Except that in, in 1999, the country began to break apart. And in fact, in their city of Novosad, the second largest city in, in Serbia, the Na- NATO started to bomb the city in 1999. In fact, the first bomb fell as they were finishing their church service. And as my friend Danny was preaching, the first bombs began to fail, to fall. And then the whole country just imploded. They managed to get out, stayed in Hungary for a few weeks as they figured out what was going to happen. But while they were in Hungary, God began to speak to them and said, you got to go back. How can you be living here in safety when, when my people, your brothers and your sisters, are risking their very lives and they have no option to leave? So they did go back. Vera says, the strange thing was when uh, Danny went back first and then Vera left, uh, uh, came after with the, two, with, with the kids, they had four kids and she said well, she was crossing the border from, from Hungary back into to Serbia. The border guards gave her this look and says, are you stupid? What's wrong with you? You know what's going on in here, right? Everyone's trying to get out and you're trying to get back in? Here's what she said. When she got back, everything, there was nothing Life was at a standstill. There was no electricity, no water. There was no jobs. People were suffering for 78 days. They bombed Novosad. They lived with this. Every night, they, they didn't know if they would live to see the next day. But yet, here's what they said at the end of all of this, and permit me to read. They said, Exchanging a life of surplus and convenience in Canada for the heartbreaks and hardships of war's victims was never our plan confident that we were in His will, now we wouldn't exchange a day of it. Folks, nothing, absolutely nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will. No matter what you're going through, God is in control. And because He loves you and I, because He is a good and powerful an omnipotent God. He will accomplish his will in yours and my life to the glory of his name. The second thing that, that Jesus said here is this, turning back to our primary passage in Matthew. Right? Jesus also said, beginning in verse, verse 9, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Number one, he wanted to remind his disciples that nothing, absolutely nothing, happens outside of God's sovereign will. Number two, he was telling and, tell, and, and, and instructing his disciples that nothing absolutely nothing happens outside of God's sovereign plan. And because it's His plan, He knows exactly what's going on. And because it's His plan and He is God, He is in control of every single detail. Folks, this is the God we serve. You know, very interesting in this second section here, as he talked about how they will be persecuted and put to death, reality is every one of the disciples died a violent death except for John, who died in prison in Patmos. And even that is no picnic, right? If we understand how prisons were in those days. Nothing like what we have today, no matter how rough they may be. Right? And throughout all of the scriptures, Jesus spoke about this over and over again. We should not be surprised at this. In fact, in in John, Jesus already predicted to to his disciples that they would suffer. That in life, in this life, you will have many trouble, he said. And then when you read Matthew chapter 5 and the Beatitudes, Jesus reminds all of us again that blessed are you when you are persecuted on account of me. When people insult you and say all kinds of false things against you. For yours is the kingdom of God. Again, in, in Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, Paul speaks about this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, Peter talks about this. Folks, but yet Jesus' is challenged here, because ultimately this is part of his grand plan for the glory of his Father, for the building of his kingdom, that even when this happens, God is still good. And this is still part of his blessing us, hard as that is to understand. Many of us will never experience what it means to be persecuted even at the point of death. I have a dear friend, let's call him Wally, comes from a country where it's illegal uh, to convert to Christianity. When it was discovered that he had, he got thrown in jail. The judge asked asked him to recant his faith or face capital punishment he refused to he got thrown in jail and as he was awaiting execution you know two of his other christian brothers he saw them literally die in front of his eyes he said i remember him telling me that when the second brother was about to be he was about to be hanged he said he, he was so scared he said I, I, I give up i don't want any of this anymore this brother before he was uh, uh, led to the gallows held him down and said, you hang on to Jesus, you don't give up. And so he didn't recant his faith. By God's grace, two brothers died. God spared him. His, car, his country was in a state of civil war at that time. The rebels happened to bomb the penitentiary where he was incarcerated, and he managed to escape. And from there, he was able to make his way to Canada where he now pastors a church. He visited me in this country a few years ago, and he saw many of his own people in this country and he started to cry. And he said, Brother, I've never been back to my country because I can't, because I will be killed when I go back. Folks, but yet he hung on to Jesus and sacrificed everything because he understood nothing, absolutely nothing, happens out of God's personal plan. You know? Jesus also reminded them that for many of us, the real issue is that, um, as it says in verse 12, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, right? You live in this country, and you know this is true. The unfair labor practices, people who get taken advantage of day in and day out, and perhaps you're one of them. Many become so bitter and disillusioned that they turned their backs on the faith, and they returned to the world. But folks, again, Jesus was saying, Do you believe that I still love you? I do love you, and this is part of my plan. First for the glory of the Father and for the expansion of my kingdom, but also for you, because I want to bless you. You know, many years ago we ran into a, an old sister in the Lord, a friend of ours named Louise Marie. Her and her husband, in fact, were were emerging leaders when our church was first planted in Edmonton, Canada. Um, uh, Unfortunately, uh, her husband uh, had anger management issues and was beating her, and she eventually divorced him. She was so angry and bitter towards him and towards the church that she left the church. When we ran into her at this restaurant, um, as I saw her, and I I went up to her to, to greet her and her siblings, she, She saw me. She stood up. She met me halfway. And before I could even say one word, she said, I need you to know I don't go to church anymore. I don't want to have anything to do with Christians. Folks. And yet, let me tell you the story of a friend of mine named George. He's a Nigerian brother in Africa. And he came to this country two years ago, 2009. He came here with great dreams like many of us to build a future for himself, came here to work as a security guard, of course. As is the typical practices, he started to, to work before his papers were processed while he was still on probation. Problem was his company never processed his papers. Eventually they told him, you can't, you can't keep working because we, you know, your papers are not done yet. So he stopped working and he wasn't earning money. Folks, for two years, this is how he lived. Not being paid, not having any papers so that every time he left, He knew that if he ever got stopped by the police, he'd go straight to jail. And yet, as I got to really know this, brother, what I really appreciated was whenever you saw him, there was a big smile on his face. He wouldn't deny that he was struggling. He didn't even know where his next meal would come from every single day. But yet he said, but God is good, and I know he still loves me, and I know he's got greater plans, and I know he will glorify himself. In fact, every day he went to his office to ask for work. They gave him the same line, we're working on your papers. You can't work because you don't have papers. And despite all of this, he still had a smile on his face. Despite all of this, he would see the secretary uh, with a troubled look and he would go to her and he would tell her about Jesus and he would share about his hope in his God. By God's grace, he was able to leave the country finally, just last week. What about you and I? Jesus reminded his disciples because everything happens according to God's will because everything happens according to God's plan folks despite all of this he who stands firm to the end will be saved let's finish this off interestingly at the end of this as Jesus was trying to explain this to his disciples and open up their hearts give them hope Give them an anchor to hang on to despite the gloom future that he was telling them about. He he tells them, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Some of you may be wondering, What does this have to do with all of this? Because folks... Just like I've already been saying, that nothing, absolutely nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens outside of God's sovereign plan. Thirdly, not everything, absolutely everything happens to fulfill God's will and to accomplish His plan. And ultimately, His will and His plan is for His Father to be glorified for his kingdom to be established, and for everyone in this great, wide, big earth to hear about what he did to demonstrate the love of the Father for us. And that is why you and I are here. You know, it's very interesting. When, when trials and tribulation does come do come into our lives, typically, that's when we really turn to God, isn't it? When when times are good, often we don't even think about him. And that's why when you look at the history of Israel in the time of the judges, this is exactly what happened over and over again. God would save them. They would forget about God. God would send other people to, to, to remind them through hardship, through persecution. He would save them again. They would turn back to God. And it went over and over again. And folks, in many ways, we continue to do the same until today. Not only that, this very interesting thing is that typically it is during the time of intense persecution and of intense trials that his gospel is proclaimed. Think about the story in Second Kings, the story of Naaman, the commander of the armies of Aram. How did he know about the God of Israel who could heal his leprosy? Through his Jewish slave girl that was probably abducted during one of the raids into the territory of the northern kingdom of Israel years before. Do you know how how Christianity spread to, to Western Europe? It was through the Vikings, who as they raped and pillaged and killed in the towns where they invaded, they would also abduct the girls, who became their slaves. Some became their wives, but some of them were believers, some of them were Christians, and they spoke boldly about their Jesus. And that's how it started. And folks, it continues until today because part of God's will, in fact, at the heart of God, is to see people come to faith in Jesus and to experience His mercy and His grace and to know Him as their Lord and as their Savior. 2 Peter 3.9 says that God is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness, because He wants everyone to, everyone folks to hear about the gospel and to come into a saving knowledge through jesus christ let me ask you this question and yet in god's sovereignty he has brought you and i to dubai why are you and i here of all of the places in the world where we could be why here And yet in Dubai, as the papers remind us, barely a few months ago, 198 nationalities have gathered here and surrounding us every day in the places where we work and live are people who have never experienced the love and forgiveness of God. And this challenge, again, is for you and I, as it was for his disciples, as Jesus reminded them, don't worry about these things. This is ultimately part of God's plan. This is ultimately my will for the world because of my compassion and mercy for mankind. And yet, the implication of this also ought to convict us. When you read about this, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then what? The end will come. Did you know that you and I know when, Je- when, God, when Jesus is returning? I'm not, I'm not being a false prophet here. I'm, just barely, I'm, I'm simply quoting what Scripture is saying. Then why Jesus has, hasn't Jesus come back? Think about the implications of that. With all of the technology, with internet and satellites and all of these things, why hasn't he returned yet? Could it be that not everyone has heard yet? And if so, he has given us a great privilege. What will be our response? Folks, do you really want to see King Jesus return? Pastor Glenn reminded us about this earlier. If so, you will endeavor to share Jesus to everyone you meet. One takeaway from this, we have this great opportunity living in this country, right? Especially during this month of Ramadan. Folks, especially as we interact daily with, our, with our, 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 our Muslim friends, we need to be praying not only for them but for everyone. Just like what we did today. I trust and pray that you are not only praying for them as we pray for them on Fridays here at church, but that every day, just like we pray for one another, we need to love them. And part of this is showing respect during this month. We're, we're so blessed we can still eat. We, we're so blessed we still have coffee. But folks, would you consider not eating in front of them because it's, it's, it's insulting to them? Huh? Would you, maybe you would even consider fasting. Joining them even as they are looking for God, seeking for God, even as we ought to be seeking for God all the time. And as, as Pastor Lenny already challenged us to, hey, are we willing to, to get to know these people? I love these folks. They've become some of my best friends. And folks, iftar is a wonderful thing. I just was in an iftar last night at one of our friends' place, and we had great time of eating, great time of talking about God. Folks, what about us? Why are you and I here? Let me close this off now. Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was about to happen. And he was reminding them through this teaching, even after he, he showed them and, and, and kind of uh, rocked their world by telling them that this temple, the very symbol in, in, of, of their faith, was about to be destroyed. He reminded them, that he was about to do something else. But yet he reminded them that, don't worry, when, when, when false prophets come, when wars and rumors of war happens, when, when calamities come, both collectively in the community and in your personal lives, because nothing, absolutely nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will. And because it's part of his will, he knows exactly what's going on. And then he proceeded to remind them that, yes, many will be persecuted. Some will even die for their faith. Many will grow cold and abandon the faith. But he who perseveres to the end, he is who will, God will bless, he who's, who will honor God. And he reminded them this is because nothing, absolutely nothing outside of God's sovereign plan. But finally, he continued to challenge them with Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, to continue to preach the gospel until he returns again. Let me finish with one last quick story of my brother-in-law, William. Diagnosed with cancer at the age of 35. At that point, three kids oldest son, 10, second son, 7, youngest daughter, barely three years of age. And he went through the whole regime of chemotherapy that absolutely just wiped him out. He went through radiation, and the hardest thing for him when he went through radiation was that um, he couldn't even carry or be near his kids at that point. And yet, after three years, eventually he still died. But one thing happened. In, in this process, I had the privilege of telling him about what Jesus did for him, and he, he accepted Jesus. And I saw him change, just transformed absolutely. And he began to tell anyone and everyone about this Savior who died for him. And in fact, as he lay in his deathbed, two weeks after my son Mitch was born, 21 years ago, anyone who came to his room, his doctors, his, his nurses, his relatives who came, his, his friends... He challenged them about their eternal destiny. Because of this, one of their closest friends, Fred and Marissa Young, came to faith. Because of this, my mother, who who at that point blatantly refused to get baptized, finally surrendered and submitted and obeyed Jesus. And he went to heaven, leaving behind a widowed wife, my sister, and three children. Folks, it's not whether our world is crumbling around us But it's whether we are still willing to believe that God, because He is God, because He is powerful, because He is in control, because He is good, He will accomplish His will. He will fulfill His plans. And in the process, glorify His name and build this kingdom and use us. That's the great privilege, that He wants to use ordinary people like you and I. How do we respond to this? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this great privilege you've granted to us to be your children. Lord, and for our dear friends and guests who are here today who still do not know you, I pray that whatever wars and personal wars and personal calamities they may be going through, may they experience your goodness. May they experience your mercy May they experience your faithfulness. For those of us who are wavering in the faith because of these things, Father, give us strength and courage. Help us to continue to trust you and to hang on to you. And may we continue to simply proclaim the beautiful gospel, the message of Jesus, that he he is God who became man, died on the cross for our sins, and will come back one day to judge the living and the dead, but that we don't have to be afraid. Because if we know you personally, we have confessed our sins and and given our lives completely to you. There is an eternity of joy, peace, and bliss waiting for us in heaven. Lord, may the rest of the world experience this through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.